Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Glittering Bell Jar. I am your host, Valerie, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Bree. Hi, Bree. Hi, Valerie. How's it going? It's going. It's going. I have been busy, as always, <laughs> uh, but I am very excited to be here today. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm also very excited to be back for another episode, episode three. Yeah, and so as a friendly reminder, if you are joining us for the first time, we are reading the Harry Potter series backwards. We are currently reading Half-Blood Prince. We are going backward chapter by chapter. This is not going to make sense if you don't start at the beginning, because you got to start at the beginning, aka the end. So please head back to episode one and join us there. Listen straight through. We are doing one chapter per episode. So these are nice short episodes, but you can save them up. You can binge them. You can listen to them one by one, however you prefer. We've done it a little bit differently this season, and we hope you like it. And if you do, if you don't, you can always leave us a review. We like that too. Yeah, please uh, let us know. Bell Jar Pod on Instagram. Just send me a message. Be like, oh my God, I love this so much. Yeah, exactly. Say that <laughs> and only that. No, <laughs> say 100%, what you feel. All I want to hear. Be honest with us. We're happy for feedback. We, in the interseason break, solicited some feedback. We got some feedback. That's why we changed the format. That's why we're back. And you can tell I'm speaking faster than ever. Anyway, we are trying something different and we hope you like it. But either way, we want to have your input because this is something that we all want to be part of together. We want to have a little community of weirdos who read books backwards, which we are not normally part of. And we are enjoying it so far. So we hope you'll go back to episode one start there with us and stick with us all the way through the end of the season yeah uh sidebar we do talk really fast and i love it i love when people talk fast but if you do not you do have the option on your podcast player to slow us down that's an option just go to the bottom there's usually a little bar and it says speed something like that otherwise yeah i think we already go at like 1.5 two times speed so you shouldn't have to speed it up but (laughs) Yeah, Brie and I are definitely on the fast side of podcast speaking, but it's just because we're really excited about Harry Potter, and who isn't? I mean, if you're listening, still two minutes in and we haven't even gotten anything important, (laughs) you obviously like Harry Potter too. So let's get to something important. We are in Chapter 28 of Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, which is Flight of the Prince. Brie, do you want to give us our summary? Mm Mm-hmm. That's a really well-named chapter, I must say. It literally is, that is it, Flight of the Prince. All right. So... Snape has just delivered the curse that killed Dumbledore moments before the chapter began. Snape, Malfoy, and the rest of the Death Eaters begin their escape from Hogwarts. Harry leaves the Astronomy Tower to find himself in the middle of a battle inside of the castle. He makes his way through the castle to the grounds near Hagrid's hut, which has caught fire. This is where he sends curse after curse to Snape, who continually is able to deflect them. Snape refuses to hurt Harry, and instead he lets him know that Harry cannot defeat him because Snape... In fact, is the half-blood prince and the curses Harry is trying to throw at him that he thinks are original are actually Snape's. Um, In the end, after Snape leaves Harry on the ground, Harry opens the locket um, and finds it isn't even the Horcrux after all. And all of this, Dumbledore's death, has been for nothing. Well, not for nothing. Everything happens for a reason. But he thinks so. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. At the time, Harry thinks so. All right. Here is the final sentence of this chapter. 
Harry crumpled the parchment in his hand and his eyes burned with tears as behind him Feng began to howl. I want to go to that parchment, actually. Let's start there, and then we're going to go back to Snape. I have a feeling we might go through this chapter backwards. So first of all, that parchment, really interesting. Uh, we obviously know who R.A.B. is because we're going backward. We know that that is Sirius's brother. I find it really interesting that he knows when he writes it that he's going to be dead soon. And I don't quite know how he knows that, other than he's been trying to leave the Death Eaters, and that's reason alone to be killed? question mark yeah because he would have written the note before he went right no wait because how did he know to go there he knew because of the house elf right he knew because of creature because that's how voldemort took it there in the first place and so that's what so he knew that he would drink that potion and probably die right correct yeah. so okay. got it okay yep 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 Yep, you got it. Okay, thank you. Thank you for leading me there. Because I, now that you say it, yes, that makes sense. He knew he was going to have to drink the potion. And when he drank the potion, he was going to need water. And if he went to the water, he was going to get dragged in. And so he knew he was going to die. Yeah, so sad. Yeah, yeah. And, and, but also very brave. I mean, this is a young man who's the younger son of a noble family who's always been associated with the dark arts, who has gone the path that everyone kind of wanted him to go and realizes it's not what he wanted and does a major move, a major move, like more than anyone else to try and destabilize the regime that he's part of and gets no glory for it. He dies af literally after he does it. I feel like his journey is very similar to Snape's in that regard, though, because I don't feel like he's doing it because he thinks that Voldemort is this evil thing. He liked it before. It's because he loved Creature so much and realizes that Voldemort has, he has disrespected this person, this being that is important to him. And so he's like, you will not get away with this. Oh, that's a really good analogy. So you're saying like Regulus feels about Creature the way that Snape feels about Lily. Yes. Like there's a line and Voldemort finally crosses it when he attacks mm -hmm. someone that they each personally yeah. care about. Interesting. Yeah. I like that. That's really interesting. That is often the case. You know, when people are in oppressive regimes, it's often the case that they are willing to go along with it until it hits a certain thing close to home. And then all of a sudden they find their voice or they find their strength to start to resist. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that the way? It's not until you have a personal experience that's close to you that you change your mind. But And not every personal experience. I mean, not to be totally uh, oppressive, but there were people in Germany in the 1920s whose neighbors went missing and that wasn't that wasn't close enough, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously the reason I say that there's obviously parallels between the rise of Voldemort's Death Eaters and their beliefs and Nazism. So <laughs> not trying to draw a, a huge out of left field analogy there. No, it's not. No, it's not at all. I feel like if you're a Harry Potter fan, you've probably thought that many of time. So yeah, pretty spot on. So let's talk about Snape then, because we're kind of moving in that direction. Okay. One thing I thought was super interesting. So it's not just that Snape is like, ah, oh, I know every spell that you're going to cast at me, because there's a point where Harry tries to cast a nonverbal spell, the only one he can do well, which is Levicorpus. And Snape knows. And the only way he can know is if he's using legilimency. Mm-hmm. At all times, he is either actively protecting his own mind or he is in other people's heads, which is crazy that he's that good, that he can be in the middle of a battle and still be tuned into Harry to be like, no, 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 you're not using my own spell on me, even the nonverbal ones. I know what you're doing. Yeah. And, pe and people don't know. People don't know that he's doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's weird that... It's sort of, I'm still a little bit on the fence about that magic. We talked about it last season too, where it's like, it's described in certain ways in the books where it seems like the person who's having legitimacy or occlumency done to them or in defense against them would know. 
But it doesn't seem to be the case because Voldemort doesn't know that Snape is able to protect his mind. And Harry, in this case, doesn't seem to know that Snape is able to be in his mind. So Yeah, that'll be good to watch. That's a good point. Because in the movies, or I feel like even in the books, they make it seem like it was kind of painful. But it... But I guess maybe just protecting your mind is painful. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Also, it would be a really boring movie if they just were staring at each other with no expression. <laughs> uh, I'm protecting my mind. You know, like, you gotta have a little... If they're not Jedi, you know, they gotta have a little emotion. But yeah, I, I mean, I said that, you know, last season too, when we were in Deathly Hollows, that like, I really look forward to kind of tracing that occlumency and legitimacy magic, that mind reading magic back to the, to the origin where we learn about it in the chapters where Harry's first learning it, because it is such an important magic to the way that Snape is able to get through the entire second half of the series. Yeah, yeah, agreed. It'll be nice to watch. The other thing I will say is that about Snape, I put a flag on the don't call me coward, Mm. where Snape screams that at Harry. And what's interesting is that this is one of the last interactions that Harry and Snape have. I think the only other interaction they have is when Harry reveals himself in the Great Hall and then Snape flees from McGonagall. Okay, they don't really interact other than that. And so this is the second to last time they ever communicate between the two of them. And then somehow in that arc, then Harry names one of his sons after Sirius and says, you're named after two headmasters of Hogwarts. And one of them was the bravest man I've ever known. So like in a very short span of time, roughly speaking, Harry completely converts from calling Snape a coward to acknowledging that he is one of the bravest men he's ever knew because of the sacrifices he made in the prince's tale. Yeah, yeah. I think that moment um, I had had something by it too, just because... You can see, now we know, that he did not want to kill Dumbledore. And in that passage, he, he is, it says something about being, for a second, kind of, there's this emotion on Snape's face and he can't quite understand it. And it is obviously grief at the fact that he had to kill someone that was very important to him, just like everyone else who mourned his death in the previous chapter in the hospital, the way they, you know, reacted. You know, it's also, it shows some of Snape's duality too, because he taunts him a little about his father. And he didn't need to do that there. He is too to do that um not because i think he's evil but but i do think that there's a lot of hurt and trauma in snape's past that he never you know obviously let go of and he does still kind of throw that in harry's face and maybe it is because towards the end he is tired of being seen as the villain and he wants to be like i am not the villain you know i i didn't have this perfect childhood and your dad was part of that you know this man that you think is absolutely perfect you don't know everything harry and Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah i found that whole exchange kind of interesting yeah, and that Snape in general is like, no one knows the weight I've been carrying. I, I, I've I been doing all of this on Dumbledore's orders and set, like not just uh, putting my own life at risk, but having to do magic and all these things way beyond what anyone else is being asked to do as Voldemort's right-hand man. And you're going to call me coward because I'm doing that as as a as a spy. You know, it's like, what? <laughs> it's It shows how good Snape was at his role, mm-hmm. that everyone around him believed that he was the villain. I mean, to the point where in episode two, we talk about McGonagall is saying, you know, well, I had a note about it. We, I don't know that we talked about it very much. You know, Dumbledore had this ironclad reason that he trusted Snape and he never said what it was. And so everyone else just was like, okay, well, Dumbledore says we should trust him. So we trust him, but they didn't trust him themselves. So they weren't really surprised when he acts like the villain. He's like, you don't understand. It wasn't me. Yeah. He had a very heavy, heavy burden to bear. I would say, you know, as close as we could say to Harry's burden, you know, not as close, but maybe second in the book, probably the heaviest burden. Yeah. Well, especially as Harry didn't didn't necessarily know the whole time that he ha- he was carrying this burden, that he was a marked man, whereas Snape knew all the time. As soon as Voldemort comes back, he's like, shoot, <laughs> you know, my, my role as a double agent has got to start again. I can't just be like the mean teacher. I've got to <laughs> actually be a spy again. There's no choice. I have to. Well, and think about it. He has nobody. Dumbledore is his only friend. 
He's the only one that knows the full truth and he has to kill his only friend, the only person that he can share this burden with. He has to kill and then everyone has to hate him even more than they already do. And I do see him being someone, Snape, that doesn't care so much what people think. However, at some point, what a lonely, lonely existence to literally not only hold on to this grief for this past best friend, whether it was a love or not a love, still very, very lonely. And he just killed his only confidant. Yeah, I actually disagree with you. I think Snape deeply craves approval from people around him. I think he deeply wants to be loved. Mm -hmm. He is an emotionally abusive father, a distant mother. He makes one friend and she leaves him for valid reasons. She abandons him. He makes virtually no other friends at school until he meets this crowd who only kind of like him because he's a really good wizard and he's willing to be mean, which is not the same thing as actually being accepted for who you are. It's just filling the role that they want you to be. He goes on to serve the Dark Lord who doesn't love anyone, not even himself. And then the only people, the only, like you said, the only person who actually knows his true character and accepts him asks him to kill. Like, does the same thing Voldemort's doing, asks him to kill, asks him to, to, to maim his soul even further, which is, I'm not, that's not for me having read forward, backward in the book, that's me remembering that they talk about that in The Prince's Tale, like, what, what about my soul? Does that not matter to you, Dumbledore? You're right, you're right, he does. Um, if not, he wouldn't tease Harry. Yeah. He wouldn't try to give him little tidbits showing like, hey, I'm not the villain you think I am. You're right, He obviously, yeah, he does crave people's approval. That's uh, very astute, of course. Um, if you guys don't remember, we did learn Valerie has a bunch of grad degrees and one of them is in psychology. Every once in a while, I whip out that piece of paper <laughs> and flap it around in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it just shows, you know? <laughs> it, it does come through. I paid a lot for that knowledge. I got to use it somewhere. Come on. Um, so while we're on Snape. I just meant you're smart. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, see, I crave approval. Thank you. That's what I was saying. It was all me projecting onto Snape. Okay. Now we're in psychology. Come on. <laughs> I'm done. All right, let's move on. <laughs> enough about me, enough about... I'm not going to say enough about Snape because I actually want to talk about something else. How do you think that Snape and Amicus and Electo end up being teachers at Hogwarts? Oh, yeah. Because McGonagall is deputy headmistress and she says we're going to keep the school open and we're going to try and protect the students, yet they bring in Death Eaters. They bring in the guy who killed Dumbledore. I can't figure out how that happened. Was that by, like, ministry order? Yes, that's what I think. Because remember, they take over okay. the ministry. Umbridge becomes the headmistress. And then, yeah, the ministry takes over. And so they're able to have... Yeah, that's right. Remember, it was something like the ministry wanted more people in there or something like that. So they sent those two in. So it's like once the ministry has fallen, then they in they place Snape as headmaster and Electo and Amicus as teachers. Oh, right. Sorry, you're right. Snape was headmaster, not um, Umbridge. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I was just trying to figure it out. Like it's not on the paper. So I, but it's, there are educational degrees. We obviously, there are educational decrees. We know that. So we have degrees. We can figure it out. <laughs> yeah. We have degrees and decrees. Oh dear. <laughs> um, yes. And of course McGonagall stays to protect the students as much as she can, you know, being the lovely woman that she is. The honorable mm -hmm, woman. Mm -hmm. What else? Um, I found there was a couple things I noticed. I just thought it was kind of a fun descriptor about the giant Gryffindor hourglass had been hit by a curse and the rubies within were still falling with a loud rattle into the flagstones below. I don't remember anything about the Gryffindor hourglass. So that's just a detail I have just missed. So the fact that it had rubies in it too, that's, that's pretty cool. Actually, what's interesting is that another one of the hourglasses gets broken in the final battle of Hogwarts, and I think it's Slytherin's. So it's interesting here how you actually have a have a, a bit of symbolism, because in this one, it's the Gryffindor hourglass that breaks. And in that one, I believe it's Slytherin. Mm. 
And so it's as Slytherin kind of falls from grace and Voldemort is eventually killed in the battle, like just kind of an interesting parallel there. Yeah, or like the marking of both the battles. That's kind of the marking of the Mm -hmm, first battle mm -hmm. and the marking of the second. Huh? Mm -hmm. That's nice. Good catch. I wouldn't have known that or remembered it. The one that I had is I have the description of Ginny with her red hair flying like flames, Mm. which I thought was a very cool way to describe her in the heat of battle. Like I think of her almost like a a Grecian goddess, like flying into battle with her hair out behind her in flame. Like that's the image that it brings up in my mind, which is very, very Ginny. Ginevra uh, in the books, not in the movies. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I also I also enjoyed that. Again, just more of Ginny that we're getting to see aside that, uh, yeah, I just love. The real Ginny. Yes. <laughs> Again, we love the actress. It's not her. It's the, uh, just the. It's, it's bad, bad writing. It's called bad writing. It happens in lots of things. I see movies all the time that have bad writing. I will say that if you enjoy those moments where you're like, should have been in the movie, like literally all of Ginny, our friends over at uh, Just Keep Rolling, uh, they are another Harry Potter podcast. They've been doing a really cool series on their Instagram that is all about things that should have been in the movies. They have these cool little frame scenes that they put together. So just giving them a little shout out that uh, we really like that. We've been really enjoying that. And if you are enjoying Harry Potter podcasts in general, you should go check them out. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Cool. Okay. So do you have anything else you want to cover in this chapter? No. It was a pretty short one. Yeah. Well, well, we'll wrap it up here. We'll keep it nice and short so you can finish your walking of the dog or doing house chores or I don't know, riding on the Peloton. I don't know. Is that a thing? People still Peloton? I don't know. I never fell into the Peloton thing. I think they do. I think so. <laughs> it's expensive. Yeah, you got to keep probably. going once you buy one. <laughs> True. Okay. Okay. So it, whatever you're doing, we're going to wrap it up. It's time to hit your cool down phase. Okay. So <laughs> once you finish your cool down, head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give us a five-star rating and review. And we would just love to hear what you think of the podcast so far. Uh, we were going to con- we're going to continue. This is going to be a back-to-back-to-back thing. If you're listening live in real time, you are enjoying it as it comes out. Otherwise, you get to binge it because it's going to be already pretty much within a very short span of time. And we want to hear what you think of it. We want to hear, do you like this format compared to last season? Hey, you can always go back and listen to last season. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And just let us know. Uh, You can also find us on social media and let us know there. Yep. Beljar Pod, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Please send me a message. I love to see it. Give us a follow, like, comment, um, make it real about us. Do it. I dare you. Uh, We want to hear about it. And if you don't want to do any of that, please feel free to email us if you have just something big and long to say that just cannot be done inside of an Instagram message. Our email is podcast at followthebutterflies.com. Followthebutterflies.com is Valerie's incredible Harry Potter site dedicated to all things Harry Potter, whether it it is a, you want to have some butter beer or different recipes, treacle tart is one of them. Uh, If you want to know about London and finding Harry Potter things, literally anything Harry Potter you could possibly want in your life, it is there. It is incredible. Go check that out and send us an email. (laughs) Yep, yep. Do all of the above. We love to hear from you however you want to contact us in whatever way you are most comfortable reaching us. Before we go, why don't you share this episode with someone who would like Herbology? I don't know. Just just think of that person who's got the green thumb who would have done really well in Professor Sprout's class and just shoot them a little message however you like and be like, yo, these people like Herbology too. You should go check out their podcast because we do. We love Neville. We love Herbology. And we will be back soon with another episode. All right. See you all next time. Glitter 
Wild Bell Jar is a Harry Potter podcast produced by the Calibro Group in partnership with Wild Goose Creatives. It is an unofficial fan project that is not authorized, approved, licensed, or endorsed by J.K. Rowling, her publishers, or Warner Brothers Entertainment Incorporated. Our theme music is Carnival of the Animals R125, Aquarium by Moments, licensed via Soundstripe. You can discover even more magic on followthebutterflies.com.